open your Bibles, please, to 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 628. Today is part two in our series, God Breathed the Holy Bible. Our main scripture text is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. The Apostle Paul is in prison, and he is writing this letter to Timothy, his son, his spiritual son in the faith. And these were the last words of the Apostle Paul. And he writes to Timothy, who had this huge responsibility of overseeing this growing church in Ephesus. He writes to him, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience. As my forefathers did as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you. He wanted to see his son in the faith, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy When I call to remembrance, Timothy, the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded is in you also. This is a fitting text for Mother's Day. We see that a young man of faith was given a legacy of faith by two very important women of faith, his mother and his grandmother. We know very little about Timothy's father. According to Acts chapter 16, verse 1, his father was a Greek and his mother was a Jewish woman who believed. And that's what the scripture says in Acts 16, 1. His, his father was a Greek and his mother a Jewish woman who believed. She believed in the Messiah. She believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. From this passage, one would assume that his father was a non-believer, but we don't really know for sure. But we do know for sure that both his mother and grandmother raised Timothy in the word of God. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we commit this time to you. We pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul encourages Timothy in verses 14 and 15, continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Knowing personally from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. Wow. What wealth in Timothy which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. The apostle Paul is encouraging Timothy, saying, from infancy, you've had great examples teaching you the Holy Scriptures. They're solid in their faith. They're steady in their faith. They're sound in their faith, sound in their doctrine. The Holy Scriptures have been modeled to you by your mother and by your grandmother. Stay the course, Timothy. Stay the course. As I shared last week, the church in Ephesus that, that, that 
Timothy had the responsibility of overseeing was under tremendous cultural pressure to conform to the culture. And Paul says to the young pastor, stay the course, Timothy. Continue in the things you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them that's so critically important and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. Stay the course, Timothy. Don't be distracted with all the noise around you. Consider your teachers. Ponder their character. Think of their sacrifice. Remember their love for God's word. They started teaching you God's truth when you were just a baby. They prayed for you. They sang scripture to you. They recited scripture. They taught you to read by reading the Old Testament scripture. They built your whole life. Hear this this morning, church. They built your whole life around the word of God. Paul reminds Timothy from childhood. From childhood, you have known the holy scriptures. It's easy to gloss over this. But what Paul is saying is so significant. Paul is saying from childhood, you have had a relationship with the Holy Scriptures. How many here have a relationship with the Holy Scriptures? You have a relationship with the Word of God, the Bible, the Holy Scriptures. The word known here in this passage is more than intellectual knowledge. It's more than head knowledge. Timothy had heart knowledge. This word known speaks to a relationship, a heart knowledge. He personally, Timothy personally experienced the living word of God. How many here have experienced the living word of God? You've personally experienced the living word of God. Timothy personally experienced the living word of God taught and modeled by his mother and grandmother. Timothy had a relationship with the Holy Scriptures. Both his mother and grandmother modeled a love for God's word. Timothy grew up loving and living God's word. They go together, church. Without loving, there is no living. The psalmist several times throughout Psalms 119 declares his love for the scripture in Psalms 119 verses 47 and 48. I shall delight in your commandments, which I love. And I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love. And I will meditate on your words. Psalms 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law, your word. It is my meditation all the day. Psalms 119, 140. Your word is very pure. Therefore, your servant loves it. Psalms 119, verse 167, my soul keeps your testimonies, your word, and I love them exceedingly. I don't just love them, but I love them exceedingly. Aren't you getting excited about this love relationship the psalmist has with the Holy Scriptures, the word of God? 
Like the psalmist, Timothy loved the word. He grew up with two amazing examples. His mother and his grandmother both modeled a genuine love for God's word. Paul takes the time. He takes the time in his last letter to give tribute to Timothy's mother and grandmother for passing on their faith and love for God's word to the next generation. To Timothy, grandson, son. Long ago, God gives this pattern to the people of Israel. He gave these words to Moses to pass on to them. They're found in Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four through nine. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9 became a daily prayer in ancient Israelite tradition. It was prayed in the morning and in the evening and had become one of the most influential traditions in Jewish history. The prayer is called the Shema. If you're taking notes, it's spelt as a Hebrew word, S-H-E-M-A, Shema. It's Hebrew for the English word hear. Can we all say that together, hear? Can we say it again? Hear. Hear, O Israel, the opening of Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel. The Shema is the Hebrew word that begins the most important prayer in Judaism. The Shema prayer was so influential and important that Jesus used it as the beginning of his answer to the greatest commandment question in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. Many of us are familiar with this portion of scripture. Then one of the scribes, the Bible tells us, then one of the scribes, scribes were Jewish leaders. They studied Old Testament law and were considered experts in Old Testament law. And one of the scribes asked Jesus what he thought was a set up question. They were always trying to set up Jesus to make him trip up and stumble over his words, over his teaching. And so this was a set up question. And so the text tells us in Mark chapter 12, starting at verse 28 through verse 31, then one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, asked Jesus, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second like it is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There, are, there is no other commandment greater than these. Well, he failed at tripping Jesus up. It's no surprise that the scribe replied, this way in verses 32 and 33. Well said, teacher. Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth. Remember, the scribes were, were students of the Old Testament law. They knew Deuteronomy chapter 6 forward and backwards. 
when they tried to trip Jesus up, he quoted the Shema, this prayer. And so this scribe says to Jesus, well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth for there is one God and there is no other but he and to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all your soul and with all your strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. It's better to obey than to sacrifice. Church, loving God and loving others springs out of a deep love for and commitment to the sacred text, the Holy Scriptures. Do you love the sacred text? Do you love the book, the Bible, the Latin word that translates our English word Bible means the book, the book, not a book. The book. There's not a greater book. It is the book above all other books. No other book will influence your life, will impact your life, will transform your life from the inside out like the book. How many love the book? Do you love the book? Even if you don't love the book, I got news for you. The book loves you. In fact, the word became flesh and lived among us. He modeled the book so we can follow after the teachings of the book. He made the book practical to us when he came, when he left heaven, and he walked on this earth. The living word took on flesh, human flesh, to model what it looks like to to live according to the book. Isn't that amazing, church? And he gives us the Holy Spirit to live it out, to apply it, to obey it. Isn't that glorious? I'm so thankful. The Shema was the most formative and foundational creed for the Jewish people. It was important to Jesus, but not just as a creed. According to Jesus, all the law and the prophets cycled on these two wheels. He says all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands, loving God and loving people. As I shared earlier, there is no living without loving There is no living the word of God without first loving the word of God. It's impossible. In fact, Jesus said in John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. There is no living the word of God without first loving the word of God. In John 14, 24, Jesus says, he who does not love me does not keep my words. And the words which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. We talked about this last week. God breathed. The scriptures, God breathed. The Holy Bible, God breathed. There is no living the word of God without first loving the word of God. I'm gonna be redundant here today with this question. Do you love the Holy Scripture? Do you love the word of God? Because if you don't love the word of God, there's no living the word of God unless you first love the word of God. How many love the word of God? How many are living the word of God? Not as many amens. (laughs) This is where modeling love for God's word to the next generation is so essential. Modeling a love for God's word in every Christian home is important. The next generation needs to see it. Needs to see the word of God read. And obeyed. 
They need to see up close and personal your love relationship with the Holy Scriptures. And it's important for the local church to model a genuine love for God's word. Not just in the home, but the the whole church community. Not just in preaching, but in practice. Maybe there's someone here today and neither of your parents are Christians. In church, we're to be spiritual parents and grandparents for them. We're to look around for a spiritual son. We're to look around for a spiritual daughter, a spiritual grandson, or a spiritual granddaughter to adopt, to help raise them in the faith. Even though Timothy had two amazing role models in both his mother and grandmother, Paul became a spiritual father to Timothy. He became Paul's adopted son in the faith. That's a sign of a healthy church. In fact, Paul talks about this in his letter to Titus, the older woman teaching the younger and the older man teaching the the younger men. A similar passage to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, is found in Psalms 78, verses 5 through 8. Turn there, if you will, please, for just a moment. In fact, I have it on the screen. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, keep his word. As we can see in both passages, in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Psalm 78, verses 5 through 8, nowhere in the Bible is the idea of letting the next generation find God on their own. You won't find that in the Holy Scriptures. God's truths A love for God's word must be passed on to the next generation. We have to intentionally pass on God's word to the next generation. That's what happened to Timothy. Not by his father, but certainly by a godly grandmother and mother, and later by his spiritual father, the Apostle Paul. And passing on love for God and love for God's word was the purpose behind the Shema. It was a prayer of repetitiveness on a daily basis, at least twice, sometimes even more, it was prayed. Later on, they included some other portions of the Old Testament scripture in that prayer. You know, praying in repetition is not a, a bad thing. And I think sometimes we get, we get nervous that if we pray repetitious prayer because in the Sermon on the Mount and towards the end of his sermon, Jesus talked about repetitiveness. He wasn't really talking about the repetitiveness of the words being spoken, but just the repetitiveness of heart where it had no meaning. This power in being repetitive, and we see this throughout the scriptures, in fact, We see double emphasis placed in certain texts, passages. 
They were repeated over and over and over and over again. Help me out here this morning. Grease the summary of God is about two things. Our two priorities are loving God and... How'd you know that? Because you've heard it over and over and over and over and over again. And how important it is for us to incorporate the repetitiveness of, of God's word. And that's why some of the old classic hymns are crucial today. And they're lost in modern day worship. But there are some classic hymns that are just solid doctrinally. Some of those hymns, really I cut my teeth in, 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 in God's, in the Holy Scriptures. We need to bring those back. The ones sound in doctrine, by the way. Because there are those classical hymns that are not sound in doctrine. We have to be careful that we don't mislead those who sing things that are not true. Amen? You know what? There's some wonderful modern-day um, hymns. We sang one last week, Cornerstone. We're going to close the service in just a little bit singing, I Believe. It's solid. It's a modern-day hymn. But we need both the classical and the modern. Come on, church. We want to sing songs that exalt the word of God that became flesh and lived among us. Amen, church? We want to sing the scripture. Last Sunday, I wanted to close the service, and I thought about it too late, but maybe I'll close the series off with the song, the Bible, this is the book for me. The B-L-B-L-E, that's the book for me. We just might sing that. It's true. God's word tells us it's true. Let's look again at 2 Timothy 3.15. And Paul writes to Timothy, and from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy's mother and grandmother, hear this church, educated for eternity. They educated Timothy for eternity or in light of eternity. They knew educating for eternity would influence how he would live on earth. They did not educate Timothy to be the overseer of the church at Ephesus. They did not educate Timothy to be an attorney, to be a doctor. And there's nothing wrong with being the overseer of the church in Ephesus. There's nothing wrong with being a lawyer. There's nothing wrong with being an attorney. But they did not educate Timothy for those things. They educated for eternity. On your timeline of life, this life right here, it's this big. The rest of your timeline of life goes on for all eternity. What are we educating our children for? What are we educating our children for as a church community? 
Are we educating for eternity because nothing else matters? The Bible produces wisdom that leads to salvation. We read this in, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Said a different way, God's word saves us. The question can be asked, how does God's word save us? By the words that are written down. Paul says the holy scriptures. They are breathed out by God. They are 100% perfect, without error, and 100% truth. God's word saves us. How? By the wisdom in the written words. The apostle Paul, he, 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 he writes, able to make you wise. Psalms 19, 7, 7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. God's word saves us. How? By the gospel, the words reveal. The apostle Paul, he writes there in 2 Timothy chapter 3, wise for salvation. The Bible is the only book that communicates the gospel message. You're not going to find another book that communicates the gospel message. Only the Holy Scriptures, only the book communicates the message, the way, the truth, the life. Only the Holy Scripture, the book, the Bible. God's Word saves us. How? By the faith the gospel produces the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 3, he writes, through faith in Christ Jesus. Writing to the church in Rome, he, he writes in Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. In that same context of, John, of Romans 10, he says, how will they believe? Unless a preacher sent. Whoever believes, Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord in that context of Romans 10 shall be saved. But how will they believe unless a preacher is sent? What's he preaching? The book, the message in the book from Genesis to Revelation, one message. That's why I'm so excited about the gospel project we're going to launch in the fall for children and teens and adults. Because in every book of the Bible, Jesus is revealed. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is revealed. And I'm so excited about going through this journey, taking this journey with the youngest to the oldest in our church family. Timothy's mother and grandmother's love for God's word impacted and influenced his life and impacted and influenced how he would grow up to love God's word and serve the Lord. And just like them, as Timothy grew in stature and in the scriptures, People admired and respected him. Mom and dad, it's so important. We want our kids to grow up in stature, don't we? We want them to grow up physically whole and healthy. But Timothy grew up in stature, not just in physical stature, in emotional stature, but in the scriptures. People admired and respected him. He became a leader in the church that people followed. Growing up, Timothy experienced the living word of God thanks to his mother and his grandmother. The author of Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 writes, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I can preach for weeks on this verse alone. Oh, how powerful. Hebrews 4 12, it's right there on the screen. 
The word of God is living because it never goes out of date. Did you hear that, church? It never goes out of date. Oh, let's praise them. We can praise them. It's okay to get excited in church. It doesn't grow old. It always has something to say to us. And sometimes we don't want to hear it. The word of God is living because it never goes out of date. It will accomplish whatever God sends it to do. I love Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, the Lord says. It shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Stand on that. The word of God is powerful. It's active. The Greek word for active is where we get our English word energy. In some translations, translate the the, the Greek word, and they use the English word active. The, The word of God is powerful, active. But the Greek word for active, really for powerful, is where we get our English word energy. And Jeremiah 23, 29 says, Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord? We know that fire produces energy, power. And like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God reveals what is in our hearts. If time permitted, I'd break that passage down more. I'll come back to it in the series. But in a nutshell, the word of God reveals what is in our hearts. It is is powerful to distinguish what is good and what is bad in our hearts. The word of God separates what is a good motive and what is a selfish motive. I know it personally. The word of God is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel. Cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey and fall in love with the Holy Scripture. The Word of God cuts us deep with conviction, but it also heals us deeply. Amen? The Word that cuts us deep, convicting us, is the same Word that heals us deeply and comforts us. Isn't that glorious, church? Scripture is active and alive and does its work. And those who believe, I love 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. The apostle Paul, writing to the church in Thessalonica, he writes, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. How many believe? How many believe? You believe the word of God is effectively at work in you. Awesome. The New York Times ran an article. I found it to be a very interesting article. It was entitled, Turn the Page, Spur the Brain. Turn the Page, Spur spur the Brain. This article presented verifiable findings showing that reading to children, even infants, was crucial for brain development. They found that exposing children to a video or a picture short-circuited the child's imagination. 
They found this in their study. Exposing children to a video or a picture short-circuited the child's imagination. One expert said they're not, ha- they're not having to imagine the story for themselves. It's just being fed to them. You know, that can be very dangerous. It is very dangerous. Another pointed out that children who were exposed to reading showed significantly more activity in the areas of the brain that process visual association. Even though children was a child was listening to a story and could not see any of the pictures. In short, verbal communication makes your mind and heart do the work of grasping and imagining the story for yourself. I want to read this again, and I'm quoting it. Another pointed out that children who were exposed to reading showed significantly more activity in the areas of the brain that process visual association, even though the child was listening to a story and could not see any pictures. And so in short, verbal communication makes your mind and heart do the work of grasping and imagining the story for yourself. Images tend to feed you what some other person's imagination created. This article about the importance of reading to our children supports an ancient Protestant understanding about the power of the word of God to capture our hearts with the truth in a way nothing else can. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, and 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Write those verses down and read them this week. Remarkably, uh, that right now, they say that right now, by faith, we can behold the glory of Christ. And this beholding is linked to the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts as the word of God is read and heard. I thought that was an interesting article. Timothy's mother and grandmother raised Timothy on the reading of God's word, which is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You see, because of the Holy Spirit, because of the Holy Scriptures, because they were read to Timothy since childhood, the Holy Spirit was at work in his heart, shaping and molding him according to God's truth as revealed in his word. Please hear this this morning. Children who were not raised on the reading of God's word will be shaped and molded by the world's lies and not the word's truth, the word's truth, but the world's lies. And that's happening today. We see it as we pastor people. We see it outside of the church community, but we see it inside. It's alarming. I'm going to share with you on the last Sunday of this message series a study that was done by the Barner Group about the Bible nationwide. And I purchased the, the results of this study. I'll share with you what this study says about Rochester, New York. I couldn't believe it. 
I'm going to share the study. I'm going to bring it with me. I'm going to, I'm going to read what it says about Rochester, New York. Rochester in the Bible and what Rochester thinks of the word of God. Because what we think about the Bible influences who we're becoming and how we live. This is a new study. This is a new study. And boy, we got some praying to do church. Amen? Children who are not raised on the reading of God's word will be shaped and molded by the world's lies. They will grow up loving the world instead of loving the word. 1 John 2.15 says, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 17 says, And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. A genuine love for God's word is something that is passed on from one generation to another. So let's just go back to our main scripture text as I Prepare to wrap things up here in just a moment. 2 Timothy 1.5. In today's main scripture text, the Apostle Paul is writing to his spiritual son in the faith. And last week I shared that 2 Timothy is Paul's final words to Timothy. Death is knocking at, his, at, at Paul's door. And he writes in our main text today, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, Timothy. He was having a sweet moment there in, in this dungeon as he awaited his execution. And he has a sweet moment just remembering his time with his spiritual son. And when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, Paul takes great encouragement and comfort when he thinks of Timothy's genuine faith for God and his genuine love for God's word. In this damp, rat-infested dungeon, chained to the wall, waiting for certain death. This is the remembrance of Timothy's genuine faith and love in and for God's word brought comfort, brought comfort to, Pete, to, to Paul. He says something that is so important we don't want to miss, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, in your mother Eunice. This genuine faith and love for God and his word is passed on from one generation to the next. I want to say to my mother, thanks for modeling and passing on to me and my siblings a genuine faith and love for God's word. I was remembering that Bible I've shared with you many times that my parents gave me on my 15th birthday, and I still have it. It's tattered and torn. I've lost some pages, but it's my favorite Bible. It was my first leather-bound Bible with my name on the outside. I thought, man, I was the coolest kid in church. But my mother's handwriting was in the inside cover. May you always walk with the Lord. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. I was 15 soon to be 55, you do the math, 40 years ago. And I remember it like it was yesterday. There's not a gift, there's not a book that my parents ever blessed me with that impacted my life so deeply. And in time of trouble, confusion,
reason why I'm standing here today. And I get the joy of preaching the Holy Scriptures that you poured into me. Thank you. I want to thank my mother-in-law for doing the same, for passing on to Tina a genuine faith and love for God's Word. In fact, I was thinking earlier this morning, hon, I was going to call you up spontaneous. She's got so much of the Bible memorized, and I wanted her to do a whole chapter. She's like, thank you. I want to thank my wife for passing on to our four children a genuine faith and love for God's word. And I think you all, all my kids are here. Don't you appreciate those texts of the scriptures that mom sends us throughout the week? Thank you for doing that. And they have been so timely in the middle of the day. I might get, I'm copied in on these texts and it's just, it's just the word of God. Hope this encourages you. Be blessed by the word of God. And there's a scripture passage and how timely that is. My phone beeps. I, oh, it's a scripture text from my wife to the kids. And she copies me in and I get the blessing of being copied in. I want to thank my daughter-in-law, Shannon, for modeling genuine faith and love for God's word. To our granddaughter, to your beautiful daughter, thank you for your love. And this love that you have for God's word was, was passed on to you from two godly parents, a godly mother. Wow. A godly father. It's passed on from generation to generation to generation to generation. We don't want to be the generation that stops, do we, church? And Paul he continues saying, and I am persuaded is in you. This genuine faith that was in your mother, that was in your grandmother, I am persuaded is in you also. Paul was confident. He was convinced of Timothy's genuine love for God and love for God's word. The influence, impact of God's word upon Timothy's life left no question mark. I close today asking all of us this question. Do we love the Holy Scriptures? Do you love the Holy Scriptures? I got news for you. They love you. Join me standing, would you please? They love you. They love you. You know, <clears throat> you know what I'm gonna ask, can, can all the mothers just come up? It's, let's okay, all the all the mothers, could you come right now? We're gonna pray over you. Allison's gonna come and she's gonna pray over you, Allison, if you would come. I hope you're encouraged and built up in the Word today. And Oh, I just love the Holy Scriptures. And they love you. They love me. Woo! Can we give God praise for the Holy Scriptures?